Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Dare to Dream Bigger podcast. And today I'm bringing you the second interview in my series of five with inspirational women who are passionately changing the world. And I'm talking to Heather Bestel, who is a psychotherapist, an NLP practitioner, a business mum, and she supports other women on their extreme self-care journey. And in today's episode, she is going to be sharing with you exactly how she went from liver failure and surgery in 2014 to completing the London Marathon just three short years later. And this isn't just for runners. This episode is for you if you've ever had a goal that you were dreaming of doing and you were getting in your own way, secretly self-sabotaging, feeling scared you couldn't manage it and you need the courage and determination to see it through and make it happen. She's going to share with you the exact tools she uses and then at the end of the interview, keep listening past the end and I'm going to share with you exactly how to find the resources you need in your Dare to Dream Bigger handbook and in other podcast episodes I've recorded. This one is a real gem and I hope you love it. Over to Heather. Hello and welcome to Heather Bestel. It's so good to have you with me today, Heather. Oh, thank you, Claire. It's lovely to be here. Now, Heather is a friend of mine. She's a psychotherapist, an NLP practitioner, and a business mum who supports other women on their extreme self-care journey. Heather, I'd love to know, how do people know when they need to come and work with you? Do you know, I usually get people find me when they're absolutely desperate they know about me and they know about the work I do but they usually come and ask for my help when they're kind of at the end of their tether when they're when they're overwhelmed stressed they've just had enough and they somebody recommends me and they go yes I think I have to admit that I need some help and then and then the change starts and usually they're ready they just they go I can't carry on like this anymore mm-hmm. they're very often that they're, they're usually women they're very often mums they've been putting themselves last you might be nodding along to this you might know people <laughs> that like this you might be doing some of this yourself <laughs> But they're usually women who are, you know, they're, they're clever, they're professional women. Often they run their own businesses um, and they're very good at their job. They're very good at doing everything else. They're very good at spinning plates, but they've, st- they've forgotten to look after them. Heather, I'm curious, <laughs> why is it you think that we allow ourselves to get to that stage where we're desperate, where we've put everybody else first for so long that we're on our knees? Do you know, we often have been told to do this it's this model that we've been given as women we learn and as mums the guilt of putting ourselves first is so overwhelming because we're taught it everywhere we look we're being told you know if you're a good mum you put your kids first you put your partner first you know you put your clients first and if there's anything left you can have that we don't have enough people enough role models saying when you put you first everybody benefits and that's the thing that that's the message I've got to get across and sometimes there's another layer sometimes when I'm talking to groups of women and I say that and I say to them okay from now on 
put you first. It doesn't mean everyone else gets put to the end. They just come a very close second. And for some people, they get it instantly and they go, you're right. If I take time off, if I take me time every week, then I'm there full of energy for my kids. You know, I'll read them a bedtime story and I won't be thinking, oh, if I just turn two pages over together, they won't notice because I'm so exhausted. <laughs> I want to get to the end of the book really quickly. And we've all been there. Yeah. They, 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 they're suddenly you're getting the best of them. And most people get that. If I've got an audience of a hundred people, you can see, you know, maybe 75% of them are all nodding and they get it and they take that away and they work on it. But then there's another layer. There's another layer of person who says to me, I hear what you're saying and I know I should be doing it, but I can't. It's so difficult. It's like I talk to them about taking compliments. I talk to them about saying no, and they suddenly get very, very uncomfortable. And there's something a lot deeper going on. And for those people, and I really relate to it because it's part of my journey as well. For those of us that that feel so uncomfortable about putting ourselves first, we need to question what's going on underneath. And very often it's about our belief in our self-worth And it can come from way, way, way back and we're not even aware of it. So for me, I didn't get the care and attention that I needed to feel worthy when I was younger. So I grew up, so this is my stuff to own. I grew up believing I didn't deserve certain things. So once I understand that and get a handle on it, I can do something about it. But other people sometimes won't realize until I share that with them. I maybe share my own journey and they'll say, oh, do you know what? I didn't get cared for by my grown up. I had to care for them. Mm-hmm. So they've grown up in that relationship where they look after other people and that becomes their role. And so they go into jobs like nursing or teaching or therapy or a helping profession. And suddenly they're, everyone says, oh, they're amazing. They'll, you know, they'll always do everything for others and they're wonderful. And they get all these accolades for doing that. So then their payoff is to keep doing it and they forget. And over the time, over the years, there is a big significant cost. And that's usually energy. You become exhausted. You become overwhelmed, you become stressed until the time when you say, actually, I don't think it's working this looking after everybody else. Does that, does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And I think building on what you say there, there's another element that can come in is resentment is we end up losing our rag with people because we've overgiven, not realizing it's us that's overgiven, not them that over asked. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. And because we do that so often and it becomes the norm, so we're getting resentful, but the other person's still expecting because that we've set up that as being okay. It's okay that I'll do all this for you. And then we get annoyed because they're expecting it from us. And it's this vicious circle and it just goes round and round until we just at the end of our tether and we don't know what to do. And we've got to start again with what helps you to feel nurtured what have you not done for ages like Zoe and I my daughter we go to an art class on a Friday night uh, for two hours and that's part of our me time and you know we'll book in other things but it's our time and it's it's put in the diary in the same way that an important meeting would be put in Mm. and it's not movable so that's one of the things I teach you know you have to put in that massage or that walk 
in the park or that kind of hour that I talk to my best friend every week or whatever it is that you need, that's put in and held sacred and is as important as, you know, the PTA meeting and taking the kids for the new shoes and whatever, whatever, whatever. It's, it's just as important. Absolutely. As you say, getting it in the diary, isn't it? That's what makes the difference. If it's just in your head, it's a nice idea and it's unlikely to ever happen. Yeah, I, I believe the power of writing things down is amazing. It kind of, I think I've come up with a new word, but it concretizes it. Okay. It's like we out of our head and it's out in there, but actually writing it down. So we're committing or we're actually saying, I am worth this two hour slot here where I'm going to go and do my lovely art class and not think about anyone else. And when I come back, I'm going to be so resourced that I'm there. Mm. I listen to people properly. When I'm with you, I'm with you. I mean, if I, as a therapist, if you, or if you wanted to do some coaching with me and you found out that once a week I take a whole day off and go and look after myself and have a spa day, or I stop working at five o'clock every night and will not pick up messages or whatever because self-care is really important. Wouldn't you rather work with me than somebody that will say, oh, I'll do it anytime. Yeah, nine o'clock at night. That's not a problem. Or Saturday morning. Yeah, whenever you need me, I'll be there. You'll think, oh my goodness, Mm. I'm being looked after by somebody that isn't looking after themselves. And that kind of doesn't feel okay. So it's really important to be there for others, especially if we are helpers or in the helping profession, if we're a coach or a therapist, or if we offer a service, it's so important because even if I say to people, even if you can't do it for yourself, even if it's really difficult, do it for others. And if you're used to doing things for your children and that feels okay, then do it for them. So, you know, when you say to your other half, I've, I've booked in a massage on Saturday afternoon, but I'm not doing it for me. You say to them, I'm doing it for you. <laughs> it's not selfish. <laughs> and if that's how you've got to do it and it feels better, then do it like that. Just say it's not for you. It's not for me. It's for you. I'm doing it for everyone else because actually there's some truth in that. You are doing it for everyone else. That's a fantastic reframe, isn't it? Now, Heather, I know that there's something you've been doing lately that's really inspired me is you have been running. Tell us more about that. Oh my goodness. This is, this is my most recent journey. And you know, it, I, I don't know, hardest thing I've ever done. I'll put my hands up. Hardest thing I've ever done physically. And that's after an 18 hour, um, labor that ended up in an emergency cesarean. <laughs> so, but that was 20 years ago. So maybe Maybe I can't remember the pain. Um, okay, so I'll, very briefly, I'll, I'll go. There's a bit of a backstory here. So in 2014, uh, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the amazing thing. In in April, on April the 23rd this year, 2017, I ran the London Marathon. Woo-hoo! And it's something. It wasn't even on my bucket list. Woo-hoo! I've got the medal <laughs> and everything. It's great. It wasn't even on my book. But here's the backstory. So 2014, I had kidney failure. Uh, No, I didn't. That's a lie. I had liver failure (laughs) and I'd been really ill, didn't know what was wrong with me. Uh, The doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. And so there was six months of tests and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards, in which time I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And eventually I was 
very ill. I was in hospital for 10 days, had two operations. And then I was told I needed bed rest. I was, I was, it was going to take me ages to get better. I'd lost nearly three stone in weight. And what I hadn't realized while everyone said, Oh, share your diet. It's wonderful. Um, what I hadn't realized was when, when you lose weight, when you're ill, it's not just fat. I'd lost lots of muscle tone Mm -hmm. so much so that as I was getting better, I started and I'd get really tired within the first five or 10 minutes or I'd try and lift shopping bags and I couldn't. My arms weren't strong enough. So the whole of two, this was the end of 2014. So the whole of 2015 was about me healing very gently. And at the beginning of 2016, my doctor said, you know, I think we need to look at things to help you get fitter. And have you thought about swimming or cycling or walking? And I love walking. So we started doing lots of walking. And then in July, um, I, I have, um, I have a community online and we do a different theme each month and July is our health month. So as a nice challenge for health month, my doctor said, have you heard of couch to 5k? And it's for people that have done no running whatsoever. So they're couch potatoes basically. Mm -hmm. And you can get from couch to running a 5k, which in old money is three miles. Mm -hmm. So couch to 5k in about eight weeks. And I thought that sounds, that sounds, oh my goodness, do people actually do this? Is this a thing? And he said, why don't you have a go? So in July, I started and it was so hard. This is what happened the first day, Friday, and you get a little app on your phone to help you. And the nice lady says, start warming up walk for five minutes. So for five minutes, you just walk. And then when the five minutes are up, she says, start running and you run for 30 seconds. You don't have to run fast. Thank goodness. But but you just have to jog. And after a minute that seems like five years, it says you may now walk. And then you walk for five minutes. So the first day, walk for five minutes, run for 30 seconds, walk for three minutes, run for 30 seconds. And you do that and you come back. It all takes about half an hour. And my face was was red as a beetroot. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. But with my kind of something, I do it. There's no backing out. I said I was going to try it. I'm going to give it a good go. Mm. So Wednesday, out again, off we go. And you build up and build up and build up and build up until you can run, run continuously for three miles. It's crazy. And what I did was the thing that helped me was I committed online. I told people I was going to do it. I told people in the group I was going to do it. I told my family I was going to do it. They wanted to do it with me. So the three of us were all out there with our trainers on. And I videoed, I made a video every day, either during the run or afterwards, I just switched my phone on and as as crazy as I looked, hair all over the place, sweating, whatever, I just switched it on and spoke to the camera and just said, this is what I'm doing and this is how it feels. And I remember having a complete meltdown on day three and thinking, I cannot do this. This is so hard. And my next door neighbor, who's a farmer, she she's very fit and healthy because she runs up and down the hills chasing sheep and things. She's a shepherdess. She saw me on the way back and I was in quite a state and said, how's it going? And I said, it's awful. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And she said, where are you up to? And I said, day three. And you love this, Claire, because she said, oh, day three. 
that's the big one. If you get through that, you can do it. And I don't know whether, you know, she doesn't know anything about popular psychology. She doesn't know anything about NLP or whatever. And I thought that is the best NLP anyone's ever used. <laughs> oh, day three. Yeah. That's the one where, you, you know, you turn the, it's fine. And so I carried on thinking, brilliant. I've got through day three. I can do this. And in within three weeks I started noticing a difference and it took everyone else eight weeks it took me 12 but the day that you love this the day mm. I ran the three miles I came home it was a Monday and I came home and I wouldn't tell anybody because I wasn't sure I needed confirmation so I made yeah so he had the kind of you know google maps or whatever it is and he measured so he could see i'd actually gone a mile and a half there and a mile and a half back and yes it was three miles and i didn't say anything on the monday because i thought it might be a fluke <laughs> so i waited and i went out on the wednesday and i did it again i ran one and a half miles there turned around ran one and a half miles back i got him to measure it again and i did exactly the same thing on the friday until after on the Friday, I actually made the video and said, I have just run three miles because I didn't want to believe it. That's crazy. So that was it then. I was hooked. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three miles. And then in the October, I did my first 5K proper kind of road race with everybody. I wasn't as fast as everybody else, but I ran the whole thing. A lot of people started off very fast and I thought, no, my race, my pace, I'm going slow. So I was right at the back. But after about a mile, I started overtaking everybody else and I got round and I did it and I was so proud of myself. So that was in the October. So I think about this. I've never been a runner. I'm not athletic in that tall. And I just started in the July and I'm just tootling along very slow, doing my three miles every other day. And in the January, um, a charity that is very close to my heart that my business has been supporting for the last few years put up um, an ask on Facebook, they said, we've been offered two places in the London Marathon and somebody's dropped out. And would anyone like to do it? We need to get back to them by five o'clock this afternoon or we lose our space. And you know, it's never been something that I've ever thought about doing, but I looked at it and in my head, this voice said that you have to do this. This is important. Just say yes. And I said to my husband, Peter, we share an office. And I just turned to him and I said, uh, what do you think about me running the marathon? And he said, uh, okay. And I thought, no, that is not the answer I need. So I went upstairs because my daughter also works from home and she has a music studio upstairs. And I went in and I said, what would you say if I was going to run the London marathon? And she went, brilliant, go for it. I'll support you. And I went, that's the answer I needed. Mm -hmm. So I went back downstairs and I said to Peter, I'm running the London Marathon. And he said, okay, I'll support you. So I got on Facebook and I said, uh, I messaged her and I said, is the place still open? I'd love it. And she got back and said, I am so pleased it's you. I would love you to do that. Oh. Uh, we would be honored. And I thought, brilliant. And then I sat back and I thought, so, uh, don't know what to do now. Uh, and Peter said, when is it? And I went, oh, it'll be in the summer sometime, probably July or August. Got plenty of time. Went online, put in London Marathon and it came up 23rd of April. Mm. So, <laughs> so this was January. So I thought, oh, oh, okay. I can't back out. This is mine. I need to do it. 
look online and it said, here's some training from marathon runners and trainers that they use themselves. And they said, if you've never run one before, here is a 14 week plan. Just stick to it, trust us and you'll do it. And that is exactly what I did. And it was amazing. Other people online were saying, oh, I didn't go out and do my training today because it rained. And I was thinking, what? It was hailstoning here, but it said on my plan, it's Tuesday, run six miles. I went out and ran six miles. So I just stuck to it every single bit. So my longest training run was 20 miles. And I put on Facebook, I'm going out. If anybody, here's my, here's my route. And people were coming out running with me. People were cheering me on. It was lovely. I did all that. And then me and Peter and day before the marathon it's so exciting it's amazing down there the atmosphere is amazing and I did the London marathon and I got a medal now my doctor said I had to promise him if if I was sore or I was ill I had to stop but in my head it was kind of the minute I start that race there is no option to stop if I have to walk it I will do it if I have to crawl on my I'm just gonna get round. and I never thought that finish not finishing was an option. I never thought that stopping was actually an option, but I noticed at about mile between mile 20 and 23, people would just give up and walk off the course and get on a bus and go home. And it really surprised me because I thought I've just got to keep going. And I got to mile 23 and had a little bit of a wibble and I had to give myself a really good talking to because it is, it is hard I knew my legs could do it. I knew my body could do it. And I believed in them. And I kept, I know people were using techniques like like shouting at themselves. And I thought, no, my body needs to be told. I love her and she's amazing. And I love your legs and I trust you and you can do this and you're doing it and you're amazing. But in my head, something just, you go into your own kind of little world and I had to just pull everything back and go, right, come on, you've got a job to do here. This is what you're here to do. Just get it done. You know, oh, hardest thing ever. It's the, it's the mindset. It really is. So how would you suggest if somebody, because you clearly, um, as a psychotherapist and an LP practitioner, you've got a toolkit that you use for that mindset. Yeah. And yeah. You said, it was really clear from what you said. Firstly, my race, my pace. Yeah. You weren't looking at others. You mm. weren't comparing yourself. You were doing what you knew you needed to do in the way that you needed to do it, which is fantastic advice for life, for running a business, for everything. Mm-hmm. You also said yeah. that you didn't allow stopping to be an option. Yeah. I'll do it even if I have to crawl on yeah. my hands and knees. But somebody yeah. who doesn't yeah. have your mm-hmm. expertise in psychology how would you advise them to do that? Mm -hmm. Say they're looking at taking on a business project or saying yes to an opportunity that's scaring the hejibis out of them. How do you psych yourself (laughs) up, get yourself to that stage where you believe so completely it's going to happen and you don't allow stopping to be an option? How do you do it? What advice would you give them? Mm. This is a brilliant question because I remembered that I coached Um, a client years and years and years ago who wanted to run the London Marathon. And then she went on to run the New York Marathon. And I remember that two really important things were, two really things were really important. And one was that we visualized. The first time I even met her, we saw, or she got a really full vision, saw everything, heard, 
everything, saw herself running that whole race, saw herself crossing the line, felt everything. So she had this really strong image to to work with every night before she went to sleep and actually on the day and I did that with me I even found on YouTube um the the there was a video of somebody running it as if they had a a webcam on them and it showed you and it speeded it up so I even went and had a look I went and had a look at all the landmarks that we would be passing on the map so I could see myself in that situation and I could see myself doing it easily doing it at my pace I could then see myself you know I'd give myself little challenges okay so see yourself having to deal with this problem what's going to happen when you've dealt with this problem because I know that a lot of what we worry about doesn't actually happen but we tend to worry about it because we haven't stopped and said well what if it did happen what's the worst that could happen how will I deal with it so I had kind of scenarios that may happen that I would have to deal with so you know what if I got cramp what if I just you know became delirious what if what if I got pain in my side what if you know in Paula Ratcliffe moment whatever you know what will I do oh bless her heart that is yeah. down in yeah. history <laughs> I know I know oh a lot of marathon runners say use that yeah <laughs> but what's what's really clear what, well, sorry, what's really clear, Heather, from what you're saying about these worries is you've put them through a filter of, is this actually a rational possibility? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You haven't allowed your mind to take it to the extreme, which is what so many of us do when we're worrying. And that's why it then feels impossible to do what we want to do. What you're listing, like the cramp, like actually, yeah, getting delirious through dehydration and exhaustion. How am I going to handle that kind of thing? They're all things that could happen. Yeah, you filtered out yeah. the mind, the mind fears that don't really exist. Yeah, exactly. You've kind of made them do it, but it's like, okay, I've got this. I've got this. I know it might not be plain sailing. I knew it was going to hurt. I knew it wasn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. And something that my husband said afterwards, he said, I'm so, pr-, and he was talking to other people. And he said, I'm so proud of her because she's not an athlete and other athletes come along and they train and train and they do all that. And then they three hours and five minutes later, they finished and they've gone home. I actually took nearly a whole day to do it. I'm not, you know, I don't run very fast. And because of the situation, my doctor said, you are still in recovery. Do not push yourself. If you are, if you have pains, you slow down or you stop. And so it took me seven and a quarter hours to get round. But I knew I had a goal. So here's another thing I visualized. Mm. I knew in eight hours, I would get a medal. So I visualized my medal that had my name on. I could see it. I knew it was at the, the finish line waiting for me. And there is a video that I made just as I, t- oh, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> just as I turned by the, you come, you turn by the palace. So the Buckingham Palace mm. is behind you and you turn up the mall and you can see the finish line and you can see the timings. And I could see what my time was. And I would know at that point if I had to just dig, dig, dig deep and push myself over that line. And as long as it was seven hours and something, I I was just going to keep going and that 
myself, get your phone out of your pocket, hold your phone out, switch your phone on, speak to your phone. Cause that's how, you know, at that stage you've been running constantly for nearly seven and a half hours and you've just got to talk to yourself like that, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I switched my phone on and I just spoke and I said, just about to cross the finish line and get my medal. Um, so I'm just about to get my medal now. Here I am. I'm just about to get my medal. And I must've said the word medal about 20 times in that time. <laughs> and exactly a lot of my friends were laughing at me afterwards and they said, I think you were obsessed with getting a medal because <laughs> I just knew that was the kind of, that was my confirmation that I'd done this. When they put my medal on me, it was like, there you go. I did it. And, you know, so that kept me going, my visualization. There were two other things that kept me going. One of the things that I'd worked with my client years ago on, and that was that she said, she got to this, this thing, this, this thing that they tell you about that you hit the wall after so many miles, your body just physically starts to, to get into a pain. It's like this pain threshold you hit and some people's legs go from under them. And so you can be as fit as anything, but if you, when you hit this wall, that's it. And she was concerned that she couldn't do it. She could only get to kind of 20 miles and then that was it. She'd hit this wall. And I asked her, to think of a time in the past when she'd had to go through something that she believed at some point she couldn't, but she in fact had. Mm. And this woman had had five children. So this was brilliant because it was so yeah. easy. Because I said, <laughs> okay, you've had, I know you've had five kids. And she just started laughing and I said, yeah. So what if you got to a point where you said, can't push anymore, I'll just stop now. So we both laughed and she said, <laughs> we that's all in there. <laughs> That's all I needed to know. If I can get through that, I can get through a marathon. And it took the difficulty. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, I've done that. If I can do that, this is a you know, piece of cake. It really was. And I used that as well. I thought, what's the hardest thing physically I've had to do? I knew it wasn't going to last forever. I knew I just had to keep going. And the other thing that helped me that was very, very personal to me was because of the reason I was doing it. I was doing it to raise money for a charity. And this charity helps children who have cancer. And I've seen what these children have had to go through. So I was saying to myself, it doesn't matter if you're in pain for a few hours, you're going to get better. It doesn't matter if your legs or your feet are sore or you've got a few blisters because that's nothing compared to what these kids are having to go through every day. And that kept me going because that's what I'd said when I talked to myself. I said, now, come on, you know, how can you look one of those children in the eye and say, do you know what? I'm awful sorry I didn't raise that money for you to get that stuff you really need. But, you know, I was in a bit of pain <laughs> when they're just taking it and still smiling. So that really was what helped. And I absolutely love this, Heather, because what you're describing is your big why being bigger mm -hmm. than all of the fears, excuses and obstacles. Yeah. Mm. Bigger than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was much bigger. Yeah. And, and yeah. this is such an incredible achievement. One of the reasons I, because I remember watching your videos and just being in <laughs> awe all the way through your journey, which is why I wanted to get you on the show to talk about this today. One of the things I love most about your story is you are so normal. Yeah. You mm. are not an athlete. As you say, yeah. you do not look like Paula Radcliffe. You look like <laughs> yeah. me and everybody else who's listening. Yeah. And yeah. you managed to go from no running at all yeah. to running a marathon in what? How many months was that? 
Yeah, that was um, something like, so it was July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, 10 months. (sighs) So if you can do it, we can, yeah? (laughs) <laughs> that is my that is my message because do you know this is this is so 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 important and this fits in so much with your big white and your big message to the world about thinking bigger and dreaming bigger and you know what I've learned and this goes right across the board personal life in business in everything what I've learned is we are amazing we are body. I used to say to, you know, I'd come home from a run and I'd say, my body is amazing. It's just done that. And I, <laughs> I didn't think it could, but it showed. And I think we shouldn't think so small anymore. I don't think anyone should, whether it's something personal they've got to do, whether they want to walk, you know, um, the Camino or whether they want to run a marathon or whether they want to set up a business or whether they want to grow their business or whether they want to adopt a child or whether they want to set up a charity or whatever they want to do. We've got to stop thinking small because it isn't just that it's safe. Those of us that that do push ourselves and take risks and whatever, even to just show yourself what you can do. This, this is, yes, this is a normal, per- this is a 53 year old woman who's under five foot two and, you know, isn't an athlete in no, no way at all. People used to say that to me, but you don't even look like a runner. And I just laugh and go, and, <laughs> and you had to move your legs one and a <laughs> Exactly. You had to move your legs one and a half times as often as somebody who's six exactly. foot tall. Yeah. Somebody said that, and so funny, at about mile 21, I caught up with a man that was walking and he was about 6'4", and I kept running while I was having a conversation with him. And we both laughed at that. He'd started walking and I was still <laughs> running. And, that was so, and he said to me, I think you're running two marathons, not one marathon. <laughs> because, you know, that, isn't gonna, that wasn't going to stop me even. And I think we've got to stop thinking small because that mm. that amazed me that you know I went and did that so that's helped me with other things but you you're spot on the two things that came out of it for me were that my message is if I can do this you can and so mm. many people have said to me you have inspired me some people have taken up running or walking or cycling or whatever some people have done other things not related to a physical thing they've just gone you inspired me so if you people have stopped me in the street and said if you can run the marathon I can go and do this and it could Mm. could be anything so we need to find normal people and it's taught me something else as well which has had quite an impact on me going forward I I've set, I set up as a psychotherapist. I, I qualified as a psychotherapist in 1994 and I'd been working in the personal development area way before that in about, since about 1989, something like that. And so this, this was my first foray into being self-employed. And then that developed into setting up a stress management consultancy in the year 2000. And then that was took me all over the country, speaking at conferences and being on the telly and radio and in newspapers and, and stepping up. And I thought, wow, you know, getting out of my comfort zone and things. And at the same time, people asked me because I was a normal person. They saw what I was doing and they were interested in business. They'd say, how did you do this in your business? Or, you know, I won awards for my networking skills. And I was the first chapter director uh, that was a woman on Merseyside for Business Network International. So they'd ask me about networking and they'd say, how do you stand in front of 500 people and do public speaking? So I'd talk to them about that because it was just something I did. So I didn't Mm. think anything of it. And 
I started to give back by being a business mentor for the Prince's Trust and I won business mentor of the year twice. Now, in all that time, I always saw myself with my hat out of therapist and coach. And I didn't see myself with the hat of kind of um, business consultant. People Mm -hmm. came and asked me, but I didn't do that. But I set myself up a website that championed and cheerleaded other mums in business because I thought we need to do that. That's wonderful. And we need to, and I set up a networking group. Well, it's a support group more than networking, Mm -hmm. but we do do some networking and I love supporting other mums. And since I've done the marathon, I've actually thought of something completely different. And it's very, it's very similar to what you say in your book about the whole thing about learning while you're doing and the whole thing about, you know, that, that trendy thing back in the 80s and 90s about, you know, fake it till you make it. It, mm. it really isn't where we need to be. We need mm. to go, this is where I am and you can do this too, or I can help you or watch my journey and learn with me. Mm. And I never stepped into that place of, oh, I can teach other people about business because I wasn't, you know, I didn't run um, a multimillionaire, multinational conglomerate, and I didn't have a million people signed up to my email list, and I didn't, and somewhere in my head it was, well, until you get to that stage, why would anyone listen to me? And what I've realized is one of the best, best ways for me to support other people is to let them watch my journey. It's all right mm. for me to say, I'm starting here and you can come along with me. And that's given me a little push into actually doing something with that. So my my um, website is called Mums Got a Business and I've always celebrated mums. And now I'm going to actually share with them how I do my business and things that, you know, I've won awards for things. So let me show you how I did that because I'm normal. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have a big suite of offices and a PA and, you know, a helicopter and whatever. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's paying me to have a lovely life in the middle of nowhere in the countryside and, and taking off the whole of August if I want to every year. So it, it works right across the board. When we see normal people doing things, we can go, if you can do it, then maybe I can do it. And it's mm. more it's more accessible. It's more real. Mm. And I think it's simpler. It's not complicated and you don't need to be like them. You just mm. can be yourself and see how someone else does it. And I think that's so inspiring. I completely agree. And I remember watching a video recently from Gary Vinerchuk where he was saying, mm. would you guys please stop aiming to grow a seven-figure business when you currently <laughs> can't pay the rent? Yeah. <laughs> it's start where you're at, find mm. somebody to guide you to wherever the first stepping stone is. And yeah. your authenticity and your ability to share, even when it's not looking pretty, yeah? there are so many yeah. of us that think, I'm not going to live stream because I'm having a bad hair day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the yes. concealer didn't deal with that zit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've just alienated everybody when you when you put you know if you can just switch the camera on and go hi this is me everyone's there with you and they're like fabulous finally somebody especially when you're a mum let's stop pretending mm. let's stop pretending you know yeah let's just be real about this let's be yeah. real about being a mum real about life real about running yeah. the business and stop yeah. the glossy photoshopping yeah. uber perfect comparisonitis yeah. trail yeah 
that's it because it just makes everyone else compare and it gets to that stage where you become paralyzed because you you think well I I haven't got the 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 video technology to do that I haven't got the lighting and the makeup artist Mm. I can't do that I remember Amy Porterfield Mm. started to send out this wonderful amazing glossy um, video series Mm. and she came back after about six weeks of doing this and said I've had so much feedback saying we can't relate to you anymore because mm. it's perfect you've mm. got you've obviously got a team of people someone's doing your hair someone's doing your makeup someone's doing the lighting I can't do this please don't do this to us and she's isn't it fascinating there are companies out there that there are PR companies that um get people to look normal this is amazing I remember reading Coldplay when Coldplay are on stage their management team tell them to mess up one of their songs so they've got to start it again or forget some of the words because it makes them more normal and likable isn't Mm. that amazing people are actually using this yeah as psychology has told them this doesn't work being all kind of I made a lovely video series it was great um I was sitting in the lounge and there was a bunch of flowers and there was beautiful lighting and it was great And I sent them out into the world and I did about 12 of them and I got wonderful feedback from other coaches, people that wanted to do the same thing. Oh, it looks so professional. How did you do it? This is amazing. I'd love to do that. Did you have an auto um, cue? Because, you know, you were kind of, you know, you'd learned everything. It was perfect. There was no erms and ums and things. Hardly anyone, you know, I got a few people that were interested in it and a few likes and things. Once I started making video on my phone, just switching it on, you know, maybe I'd done my hair that day, maybe I had makeup on because I was going somewhere, maybe I didn't, maybe I was sitting in the garden, maybe I was in the office, who cares? I got such a different response. People stop me in the street now and say, you said that thing about just stopping and taking time to think about yourself. And I'd never thought about that. Thank you. And I'm doing that now. And it's great. And my whole life's changed. And my husband says, thank you, because he's got his wife back. And I'm going, that's the feedback. That's the feedback that I need. So yeah, normal people doing normal things and telling you the truth. It's not all easy. Sometimes technology (laughs) fails and we mess up and sometimes you know we forget things and sometimes business doesn't work and we've got to start again and stop doing that and do something else but what a great way to learn I remember Mm. years and years and years ago uh John Harvey Jones is that his name Mm. it was the first kind of business management person that had a tv show that went into other businesses and helped them and his big USP is because he'd failed everything (laughs) every business (laughs) he'd set up had had gone wrong and so Mm. he used to say to people I wouldn't do it like that because I did it like that it didn't work (laughs) I love that I love that (laughs) it is as important as what to do isn't it (laughs) I love that (laughs) so Heather it's been so lovely chatting with you today do you have one final piece of advice you'd love to give to everybody listening to this today who maybe is looking at stepping up to dream bigger in their business or the difference they're here to make in the world I think, yeah, I touched on it just before. I think expect more of yourself because I I learned this year, you know, expect miracles. If I can do that from having liver failure to going Mm. to do this amazing thing, 26.2 miles, then we need to expect more of ourselves. That's what we have. That's my message. Expect more of yourself. You 
are phenomenal and you can do amazing things seriously just I promise believe me just go do it whatever whatever blocks beliefs whatever do it anyway do it anyway people say to me oh I'd love to do that but it's going to take 10 weeks to do it the time's going to pass anyway 10 weeks Mm. are going to pass anyway just do it stop letting your own excuses get in the way of your awesomeness just do it anyway that's beautiful. A perfect way to wrap up. Stop <laughs> letting your excuses get in the way yeah. of your awesomeness. I'm going to yes. make that a tweetable <laughs> on the replay page. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today for the interview. There's so much here to inspire people, to kick us up the backside and to get us daring to dream bigger. It's been an absolute honor to hang out with you again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Claire, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much to Heather for sharing all of that wisdom and inspiration during our interview. And if you want to find out more about how she could help you, you can find her at www.mumsgotabusiness.com. And as always happens at this stage of the interviews, I want to take you through some of the inside work that Heather did to achieve that totally audacious goal. I'm dating myself with the use of that word so that you can do it too. You don't have to go from liver failure to running a marathon, whatever it is you're dreaming of doing. You can use the same technique she did to clear out the blocks and the fears and to take the action that will inspire breakthroughs. So listening back to the interview, there are four main factors in Heather's success in this project. The first one is she believed in a successful outcome, totally and utterly believed it. She refused to accept any other option. The second one, her big why was greater than her fears and excuses. The third one, visualization as a tool for training the brain to know it's going to happen, overcoming those fears and doubts. And number four was accountability, going public on her goal and sharing the journey, taking them in turn, believing in the successful outcome. So often, instead of telling ourselves stories of how we can succeed, we tell ourselves stories of, well, I can't do that because... Now, each and every answer or phrase that comes after the because is a hidden block or fear or excuse or belief that potentially could trip you up. If that's happening for you, I've got a free training that you don't want to miss. EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique or Tapping. I'm a master practitioner. And like Heather, I'm into NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, the user manual for your brain. I'm a trainer and have been since 2003. One of the things I found, though, is when you try to solve a mind problem with the thinking mind, it so often doesn't work. When I personally have blocks that have been sticky for years and nothing else has worked with, tapping somehow clears them. My inner engineer goes, whoa, man, how does that happen? (laughs) With a bit of me that is my scientist that loves to experience those shifts and actually measure the data for myself knows how valuable this is. So if you take your big dream or goal, And ask yourself, okay, I can't do this because, and then go and tap on each of those answers. Follow the instructions in the video training. You'll find they shift more quickly than you could ever imagine. And if it's a real biggie, come and work with me one-to-one, clayosa.com forward slash mentoring. I'd love to help. The free video training is yours, clayosa.com forward slash EFT. That's C-L-A-R-E-J-O-S-A dot com forward slash EFT. It really helps when you need to crank up your self-belief and your confidence. 
The second thing she did, the big why being bigger than her fears and excuses. Now, we talked about this in the last podcast with Sandra Pilarczyk, episode 44. If you've got Dare to Dream Bigger, you'll find we cover this on page 174. The thing with this is that when our big why is only about us, it's so easy for it not to put enough energy into our dreams that we don't take the action. When we make it about making a difference in the world and helping other people and it becomes bigger than us, it burns through our fears. It puts enough energy into your dream and it gives you the leverage to take action, even if you're secretly feeling scared. So the third thing that Heather did was visualizing. I talk in Dare to Dream Bigger on page 263 about this. So often, if you've read things like The Secret and you're into Law of Attraction, Manifesting and law of attraction can fall over. So writing down your goals and visualizing isn't enough. And this is something that was clear from what Heather did, though she didn't explain it necessarily in the interview because we didn't get to that level of depth. She did the thing that makes visualizing work. So not only did she imagine passing the finish line, she didn't just see it. She didn't just feel it in her body. She didn't just hear what it was going to sound like. She then did the next step I talk about on page 263 in Dare to Dream Bigger. She took action. (laughs) Visualizing on its own is not enough. Having a vision board up there and looking at it every day is going to make no difference unless you're actually taking action towards your dreams. So visualizing is an incredibly important tool. It reprograms the neurology in your brain. It helps you to clear out those blocks and beliefs. It helps you even spot what they might be so you can handle them. And it trains you to believe in your outcome. But without action, it's just a pipe dream. For those of you who are members of my tribe, there is a video for you to guide you through visualizing your goals. A beautiful NLP-based technique, meditation mp3 as well that you can download if you're not a tribe member yet you can go to claireyosa.com forward slash tribe and the fourth key thing that heather did was get accountability she went public with a goal that would terrify most of us and then she shared the journey warts and all she shared her fears her hopes her dreams the action she was taking so not only Did she have extra leverage there to keep going because she knew that she'd have to face up to people if she dropped out? But she was also using her journey to inspire other people to reach to their goals too. So the show notes and more information on the resources that Heather's mentioned are at the www.clareyosa.com forward slash podcast forward slash 045. And I'd love to hear from you today. Is there a goal or a dream that you've been maybe kind of hiding in the cupboard that you might like to get out? How might Heather's journey inspire you to have the courage and the tenacity to make it happen? And which of those four steps that Heather went through, the believing in her goal, the big why being greater than her fears, the visualizing or the accountability might be the next one that you want to implement to make sure that you turn that dream into reality. I'd love to hear from you via the comments, www.clareyosa.com forward slash podcast forward slash 045. And remember, this episode is part of our party celebrating the first birthday of Dare to Dream Bigger, the book. If you haven't got your copy yet, www.dreambiggerbook.com. 
If you want to join us for the party, catch all five interviews and enter the competition to win three months of mentoring with me and get free access to the live webinar I'm running on how to make the time to grow your business, even if you're secretly stressed and overwhelmed. You can join us for free as my gift at www.clareyosa.com forward slash party. I would love to see you there and share these celebrations with you. 